You're listening to In Country, a podcast covering Marvel Comics, The Nom. Hello and welcome to episode 59 of In Country, a podcast that is taking a complete look at the Marvel Comics series The Nom, which is brought to you by the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network. I'm your host, Tom Pannery. In this episode, I'm going to cover The Nom number 52, which is a landmark issue because it is part one of a special two-parter called The Punisher Invades The Nom. So yes, we're there. And I'll get into this issue's contents and whether or not it is a controversial move for the editors in a book that, with the exception of issue number 41, hasn't featured anything involving the mainstream Marvel Universe since it began. The song I've picked for this episode is also a landmark in a sense as well. It's Instant Karma by John Lennon, which John Lennon recorded and produced with Yoko Ono and Phil Spector in April 1970 and peaked at number 3 on the Billboard Hot 100 that same month. In fact, it was written, recorded, and released in a matter of 10 days, which makes it one of the fastest produced singles in music history. Not only that, the weeks that it was number three on the charts were also weeks where Let It Be, a song by Lennon's former band, The Beatles, was sitting at number one. While this wasn't the first solo song by any of the Beatles, it was the first solo song by any member of the band to sell a million copies. According to the song's Wikipedia page, Lennon came upon the concept of instant karma by spending time with Melinda Kendall, who is the then-current partner of Yoko Ono's ex-husband Tony Cox. She discussed the concept of, quote, instant karma, whereby the causality of what actions is immediate rather than born out over a lifetime. Author Philip Norman writes of the concept's appeal, the idea was quintessential Lennon, the age-old Buddhist law of cause and effect turned into something as modern and synthetic as instant coffee and simultaneously into a bogey under the stairs that can get you if you don't watch out. Lennon recorded the song at Apple Studios with Spectre as the producer and a group of session artists, although two notable people in the band are fellow Beatle George Harrison and fifth Beatle, quote, Billy Preston. I personally first heard the song in the early 90s, as it was used in a Nike commercial, which is something that Yoko Ono had authorized in the late 80s after receiving a bit of backlash for allowing the Beatles song Revolution to be used in a Nike commercial. Backlash, which included a lawsuit filed on the part of the surviving Beatles. I've always had mixed feelings over the about the use of songs, especially Beatles songs, in commercials. But if it weren't for this commercial, I would have never heard this song and gone out and bought a Best of John Lennon CD. That's our song. Here's our issue. The NOM number 52 is cover dated January of 1991 and was released on November 27, 1991. The hover by Jorge Savino shows a very angry Frank Castle in a helmet and fatigues dripping with, I guess it's sweat? At the top of the cover is the phrase, The Punisher Invades the NOM, part one of two, and the logo in the upper left-hand corner is not a picture of a GI that was drawn by Michael Golden, but the Punisher skull wearing a Marine's helmet. The version of the cover I have has a POW-MIA symbol in the bottom left-hand corner instead of a UPC code. Marvel is obviously going for the event angle here, and since this is around the time when the Punisher was huge, I mean, looking at that month alone, the Punisher appeared in the following books. The epic graphic novel Return of the Big Nothing, 
Punisher, Punisher the Prize, Punisher War Journal, and of course the NOM. This would not be peak Punisher, of course, but he was getting to be like Wolverine at this point. Thank you, by the way, to uh, Mike's Amazing World of Comics for that information. The title of our story is The Long Sticks. The writer is Roger Salek, Mike Harris is the penciler, James Palmiotti, Jimmy Palmiotti, as we know him, is the inker, Phil Felix and Jade Moed are the letterers, and Lazalari is the colorist, Don Daly is the editor, Tom DeFalco is the editor-in-chief. Sunrise in Duc Phu, South Vietnam. As the light seeps out over the South China Sea, the pulse of a marine base in one core awakens to the tempo of the rotors chopping the air. 875 yards away in the tree line, a superbly camouflaged man holds an unblinking eye to Russian optics. He steadies his breathing. And it's here where we see a colonel arrive at the base and the sniper that we've seen shoots the colonel, killing him. Hill S5, three days later. A gunnery sergeant comes into his superior's office and tells the superior, who is named Captain James, that Colonel Sharps was killed by a sniper, and by all indications is a sniper named The Monkey. Captain James chomps a cigar and points out on a map all the places where Americans have been killed by sniper fire. The sergeant replies that they're in luck because the brass wants them to close him down, and intelligence is sending a man to brief him. The monkey is awfully good, and James says they have someone who is good too, Sergeant Frank Castle, who is on his way to setting a sniping record. In fact, they have a pool going. We cut to Castle in the bush with his rifle and see him take out a VC who has ducked down behind two trees to relieve himself. When he gets back to the base, Frank is called into James's office and given his mission. It's just the type of challenge he's up for, but he's curious as to why intelligence is so involved and why it's being presented as very hush-hush. James says that intel has discovered that the monkey's hideout is in Laos, which is not an area American troops are authorized to go. Castle and a few other men begin humping it through the jungle. The next morning, they reach a spot of the monkey's hideout, and Castle realizes that to get a good shot, he has to crawl through the high grass. As he does, he comes face to face with a viper and manages to stay perfectly still until it slithers away. Then he mounts his scope and sees the monkey cleaning a long stick. He wants to get closer and and a clearer shot, but is interrupted by voices to his right, three NVA troops. They begin walking his way. He has to shoot them. He hits one that alerts the others, but Castle manages to kill the other two without anyone noticing. He then decides he has no other choice but to take the shot at the monkey, and does so. It looks like he hits the monkey and then heads back to his men, who have all been killed by the NVA, and Frank is captured. The monkey is alive, and when Castle is brought back to camp, the monkey notices that he is the American sniper with a bounty on his head and mocks him, then explains that the man Castle killed was his double. They walk him to where they are going to hold him and probably torture him, with the monkey antagonizing him the entire time. He's led to a dark cell, smacked in the back of the head with the butt of a rifle, and the door is locked behind him. The monkey shows him a picture of his next target. It's Captain James. Realizing that he is to do something and distraught over the fact that Captain James is a target, Castle hangs himself in his cell. I have very mixed feelings about this issue, because while I didn't hate it, I'm not entirely sure it belongs in the NAM. Up until this point, we have seen the writers try and show a realistic take on the war, showing it to be complicated with soldiers who were very human and very vulnerable at times. In fact, the one time we had superheroes show up in that was issue 41, and the point of the issue is to show us why superheroes in the Vietnam War just doesn't work as a concept. Here, however, we have a superhero. No, Frank Castle is not the Punisher yet. He doesn't have any superpowers, but he doesn't seem to have very many flaws either. He is a superb soldier, one who towers above all of the others he is with, and while he makes a mistake that gets him captured, 
It's a mistake of typical action movies of the time. Let the hero get captured in order to provide some suspense for the plot. This is, in quite a number of ways, a Schwarzenegger movie. Furthermore, I don't know if we have to know that the Punisher was that good of a soldier before he became the Punisher. Granted, I'm not a Punisher enthusiast. I think I'm like a number of comic fans who started collecting in the late 80s and early 90s and that I bought a few issues of the comic but really never read the character for a long period of time and that's because it always seemed to me that the stories were formulaic. The Punisher seeks out and takes down a specific bad guy or set of bad guys, then he moves on to the next one. I'd read his origin years ago, and I don't remember where, but I do remember it was basically he becomes the Punisher as a way with coping and avenging the deaths of his wife and kids, who basically were killed by the Mafia because they saw what they weren't supposed to see. They were at the wrong place at the wrong time. So it really had nothing to do with who Frank Castle was, or as opposed to, say, for instance, the DC character Vigilante, whose family was killed specifically because he was a DA focused on taking down a mob boss. So we don't necessarily have to see what that castle is the best Marine ever. This would have worked as a two-part special in the Punisher books, or as a Punisher origin miniseries, or a graphic novel or something. I don't know if it works here. Thankfully, it actually has nothing to do with the continuity of the overall NOM series. None of the characters here are main characters in the NOM. So if you were reading this, you wanted to skip it, you were reading the series, you wanted to skip these issues in order to move to the next story arc, you could do that. That being said, taking it on its own merits without the baggage of the Nam or the Punisher, this is an entertaining story. Mike Paris, who pencils some more stories, Nam stories down the line, does an excellent job with the pencils. Jimmy Palmiati's inks are really good. In fact, I checked Mike's Amazing World, and this is Palmiati's second comic book credit ever, the first being an issue of Ghost Rider that came out the same month. So this is the artist at the beginning of his career, and I can see why he's been in the business for such a long time. Ed Lazzolari's colors are also gorgeous, and they complement everything very well. It's not a 90s comic in the sense that a lot of books were starting to become around this time, and our art team, along with writer Roger Salek, do give us a good adversary for our main character, as well as a fair amount of tension and suspense. Okay, I don't think anyone is fooled by the end of the issue, because it's obviously obvious that Castle is using the hanging as a ploy to fool his captors, and that's how he's going to escape. But it's still an effective cliffhanger, and I'm curious to see how he gets out of the prison in the next issue. Details-wise, there isn't much to talk about. Like I said, this is very Schwarzenegger. In fact, the whole special ops mission is, feels like it's like that's the team from Predator going to the jungle you know, at the beginning of that film. But one thing I did notice was the line that James had about the camp having a pool to see if Castle can set a new sniping record. While this was put there to probably highlight Frank's awesomeness as a sniper. It reminded me of the ways that Paul Bomber views the snipers in All Quiet on the Western Front. It's a scene right after he has literally come face to face with the enemy and killed him, that enemy being the French friend Gerard Duval. He sees the snipers picking off their targets and making a game of how many kills they can get. The inhumanity is there there is meant to be chilling, and I think that one line here, while not chilling, also speaks to the mentality of some in the war. They're not cold, they're not callous, but it's gamesmanship that's going on here. It's in the speech of the monkey when he has Castle captured. He's taunting him. He's trash-talking him, as if Frank is on another team as opposed to the other side of the war. Granted, all the language is about the war, and it might be more indicative how we view games and competition as opposed to how we view war. But those were nice touches to elevate the story a little, even if I still don't think it really belongs here. One last thing before I do letters and ads. This issue closes with two pinups, both by Wayne Van Zandt. They are three soldiers walking by a rice paddy. 
during heavy rains and two soldiers standing in tall grass and firing while choppers fly overhead. They're absolutely gorgeous and a reminder of just how good Wayne Van Sant's art was getting while he was on this book. There are no letters in Incoming this month. However, there is an advertisement for Punisher books. <laughs> you have, if you're interested in reading more about the Punisher, here's some titles you might want to check out. And we have the Punisher War Journal, which was on issue 26 in part two or three of the Sicilian Saga. The Punisher goes to Sicily to discover his Italian heritage. The problem is people are killing his Italian heritage by Mike Barron and Mark Teixeira. And The Punisher number 45, The Punisher goes behind the wheel to find out who's been slaughtering New York cab drivers, One Wayfair by Chuck Dixon, Todd Smith, Dan Bolanati in one short week. I actually bought The Punisher 45 off the stands because I like the cover. Um, It shows a taxi cab with a guy in the back seat having shot the cabbie, um, and that's in shadow, and standing on top of the cab wearing a trench coat and his Punisher outfit is uh, is the Punisher, and he's holding a gun downward toward the roof of the taxi saying that's the last time you don't tip (sighs) and then there's an advertisement for next issue which says the conclusion to the story everybody's been yearning for the Punisher invades the Nam Mm -hmm. the monkey's hot Captain James is cold Charlie is revolting and Frank Castle is dead the Nam number 53 yet another breathtaking Jorge Zafino cover wrapped around inside by martial artist Roger Salek US Army Lieutenant Mike Harris and linker extraordinaire James Palmiotti and it's not even Christmas and then there's an advertisement for the Punisher, the nom number 54. We fully expect that the current Punisher 2 issue crossover will inspire a torrent and a flood of nom letters. Issue 54, in case you haven't heard, brings it begins a five part the five part death of Joe Hallen, series within a series, Chuck Dixon's debut as regular writer, and a bold foray into new unexplored directions. Now even more than ever, we want to hear your feedback. Hate us, love us, but write us. Nom notes this month. We have sea rats. Sea rations feel provisioned slightly more civilized than K-rats, but not quite civilized food. Finger four refers to an outcropping at the base of a mountain, one of the mountain's, quote, fingers. Hamburgers is another name for the enemy of the VC. Hooch, hut, tent, barracks, basically wherever you stow your gear. And intel is military intelligence. Ads this month. The same Mario and the Princess bubble baths and shampoos ad from last time around. The same Wrath of the Black Manta with the I think this is, is this the one with the contest. No, this is the one of the this isn't one of the contests. But you can get a Black Manta poster. They were really trying to sell that game. Gargoyles Quest for uh, Game Boy graphics so real you'll forget it's only a game. Which I was never a big fan of the Game Boy, even though I used to play Tetris on it. The uh, the same Cosby sweater '80s haircut dungeon board game. Everybody's looking creepily at one another. Same two-page Marvel trading cards ad. Street Fighter 2010, the final fight again. A lot of the same ads. The same. I don't think there's a new ad in here at all. Uh, it is a Halloween-themed bullpen bulletins. Something about a, a Marvel World of Tomorrow that John Byrne's been working on for January of 91 of the sale date. The hero's name is Ravage, and the villain is Deathstrike. Maybe this is the beginning of Marvel 2099? I mean, I'd have to look, and, and I'd have to do, you know, maybe one day I'll Google this, and I'll do a little bit more research into it, but Stan's promoting something called 
Marvel World of Tomorrow. This is late 1990, early um, 1991 was when we would see, and, and eventually we would see a Marvel 2099 line. And uh, they were going to make it look, he's like, I'm making it 80 pages instead of 64 pages. Um, he says the Marvel World of Tomorrow is a temporary catch-all moniker until we come up with the real one. Uh, despite some, uh, no, um, Stan just being Stan in this, he says, uh, the seemingly ubiquitous Marvel World Tomorrow, the name is Ravage, so it might be Ravage 2099 he's talking about, and, uh, that wasn't out yet. Um, there's a lot of Halloween puns, and I'm, I'm gonna spare you the Halloween puns in the, uh, <laughs> in the bullpen bulletins, um, Although one thing, one thing mentioned is that there's the official the Ohatmu Master Edition, which was there, and I'm trying to remember which came out first, but I want to say that the DC Who's Who Binder Edition came out before the Ohatmu Binder Edition. I had a couple of issues of the Ohatmu Binder Edition, but never bought more than like one or two. A because I didn't necessarily have the money, and B I was never as impressed with it as I was the DC Who's Who. I love that binder edition. I have both binders as well, so it's pretty cool. Uh, the only real uh, new ad this month is the Punisher video game for the NES, which is basically f- the ad is Frank standing against a a wall where there's been a hole blown into it, and and shots from the video game are flying out, and then there's like spray painted on the brick wall is all sorts of stuff, machine guns, street six t- street tough levels. Super arcade action, the NES game, He Who Lives Wins, M16s, and Rocket Launchers. So, very, very Punisher. And then the back is the an ad for the Laser Scope from Konami, the amazing voice-activated firing system for Nintendo, which I believe was the s- subject of a really good Angry Video Game Nerd segment. Um, so you should look that up, because this was one of those many, many things for the Nintendo that... If you think about it, on some levels, some of these were ahead of their time. They just didn't have the technology to work back then. So, yeah. And with that, that's the NOM number 52. I'm going to take a break, and then when I come back, I'm just going to have a little bit of an extra feature uh, featuring Jimmy Palmiotti and my trip to the Baltimore Comic Con. Stick around. Hey, everyone. Michael Bailey here with a trailer for an exciting series of episodes of Views from the Long Box. To help me with this trailer, I have brought along none other than Darth Vader. What is thy bidding, my master? I, uh, I had to pay extra for that one. Now, normally on Views, I talk about comics, either alone or with a friend. However, with The Force Awakens hitting theaters soon, I have been all excited for Star Wars. And with the sudden massive amount of free time I have found myself with, I decided to devote all of the December episodes of Views to Star Wars in a series I am calling Views from a Galaxy Far, Far Away. Don't be too proud of this technological terror you've constructed. Oh, that was, was kind of rude. I mean, I, I would think a Dark Lord of the Sith would be happy that I'm devoting a month of shows to Star Wars. Don't make me destroy you. Look, Vader, we had a deal. I was going to tell everybody about how I'm going to talk about my favorite Star Wars movies, my favorite characters and comics and toys, in addition to talking about The Force Awakens. You were supposed to back me up on this. I am altering the deal. Pray I don't alter it any further. Oh. 
Well, fine then. Can I at least talk about how I'm bringing some of the best and brightest in podcasting along with me on this endeavor? And that the show is going to be weekly through the month of December? The Emperor does not share your optimistic appraisal of the situation. The Emperor will be listening? Yeah. Then I will have to double my efforts. Apology accepted. I did an apo- You know what? Never mind. What everybody needs to know is that Views from a Galaxy Far, Far Away starts December 1st here at Views from the Long Box. You can find the show on iTunes or by going to www.viewsfromthelongbox.com. We would be honored if you would join us. Finally, you stuck to the script. I find your lack of faith disturbing. Views from a Galaxy Far, Far Away. Starting December 1st. Only at Views from the Long Box. So about a month ago, I went to the Baltimore Comic Con. You can hear some of my really awfully thrown together coverage on an episode of on episode 56 of Pop Culture Affidavit. One of the things that was very cool about this year's con was that four people associated with the NOM were there, and I had a chance to get comics signed. The first was John Beatty, who didn't have much of a role in the series, but did the cover of issue 15, which is the one that I covered, along with Professor Allen when he did the issue on the quarter bin at the same time I hit that issue on this show. So I got a chance to have him sign that cover. Bob McLeod was also there. He's a perennial guest of the Baltimore Con, and he inked, he had inked issue number seven, so he signed that. And I think I also had him sign the trade paperback that uh, Marvel put out that that issue is in. Uh, then I had the opportunity to have a few comics signed by very longtime nom anchor Jeff Isherwood. He didn't have a lot to say about his involvement in the series, mainly that. Uh, it was more of a, it was really much of a job. He's like, he was given pages to ink and that was about it. But what was cool, and if I had the money, I would have bought one. He had original art from the series for sale. You know, like the finished pages that were uh, before they went to um, coloring or whatever. And if I had the money, I totally would have bought a page and had him sign it. And Wayne Van Zandt was there as well, so I would have had Wayne sign it as well. But too rich for my blood. Um, if it happens around, I might save up the money and get something like that. But he did say Wayne Van Zandt would be a great person to talk to. And I mentioned that, I, you know, he was over in Artist Alley. We, we talked. Um, and uh, Wayne and I did talk. I, I finally got to meet him after after interviewing him. It was really cool. Uh, most of our conversation was about Katusha, which he is has finished book three, and he's just waiting for it to, to publish it. Um, we talked a little bit about some of the stuff that we already had covered on the show. Uh, he is... An incredibly nice guy. I got the chance to thank him for coming on the show, and he was um, really, really nice. And uh, just one of those guys who just you could sit back and, and he'll just tell you a story. Interviewing him, I remember, was incredibly easy <laughs> because he just he just let him go, and he was he was a great, great, very, very nice guy. So if you if you are at a con and you get a chance to meet him, even if you don't have any issues with the series to sign, have signed or anything, stop by his table. His he usually has some of his war comics for sale. Um, he's doing been doing a lot of historical fiction, a lot of historical war comic fiction, and and a lot of it looks really, really good. And the Katusha books are really good. So I would recommend um, stopping by his table if he happens to be at a convention that you're at. I ran into two guys cosplaying as Vietnam era soldiers and got their picture it was really cool they i asked them like where they were getting their stuff and they said they just they seek it out at like antique stores or consignment shops and stuff and all of it is um all of it is uh genuine it's authentic issue um i actually have a a 
one piece of clothing because it was my dad's. I have his tropical uh, light combat jacket or whatever it is. Um, I wore it for a Spirit Week theme day a couple of years ago. Um, so I got a picture of those guys. If I remember, I'll put them in the show notes. But the other person I had the chance to meet and the person who is kind of the spotlight of this segment is Jimmy Palmiotti. He has become a big name in comics over the last de- decade and a half or so. Um, I stood in line to meet him. I had issues of Starfire for him to sign, but I had all of the Punisher issues of the NAM that he that he inked. But back in the early 1990s, he was just starting out, so he inked a few issues of the series, and he had some great things to say. So here's so here's Jimmy Palmiotti from the Baltimore Comic Con. Jug these so, so out the of the NAM. Yes, yes. I, I have a I have a podcast about the NAM. Do you? Yeah, I do, I do, and I'm See, about. I can give you some information about those books I did. Sure. All right. Okay, so these three covers mm-hmm. were done by. Uh, actually, all of these covers were done by. Uh, how do you say his name? Jorge Savino. Okay. The artist. Savino. But when I first came to Marvel, I I, I used to design movie posters. Okay. Uh-huh. So when I first came to Marvel, they hired me to do cover roughs. Yeah. And they paid me fifty dollars for each one they used. And I do these little drawings, small, and all of these I design. Mm-hmm. And then they gave them to Zapino to draw the covers from my sketches. Oh, cool. So these are all... And then um, these, the Kevin Kabasic one, so it's uh, 68, 60, 69, were actually drawn by uh, Kevin Kabasic, who was who used to be, uh, who used to work up at Marvel. Okay. He was drawing, so he was... He was a guy that started as an assistant, and then he actually started getting work from the. Uh, it was pretty cool, and um, and then these two, I think, are Mike Harris. Let me just. Check. I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. And Mike was a military guy. Oh really? Yeah. Mike was a military guy, and uh, great artist. Mm. And he went out of his way to let me ink it, which was very nice of him. But this is when I first started, so these are some of the first books I've. Yeah, I noticed. That. I think you had some maybe. Ghost Rider or something like right around the same time. Ghost Rider. Oh, Ghost Rider. Yes, yes. I was helping Mark Texera Mm -hmm. um, do finishes on Ghost Rider and Punisher at the time. And I was—that's how I broke in. I I was a guy that would come in at night, and whatever books were late, they'd throw some stuff on the table, and I would ink it and then help out. So Mark was the guy who actually got me into Marvel. Okay. And he, uh, Mark Texera and I went to high school together, so it was like oh, wow. connected with an old buddy. That's very cool. Yeah. I, uh, I appreciate this. Thank you. It's Thanks, a buddy. pleasure. Take care. Finally, I have an email for you all. This one is from Michael Bailey, a prolific podcaster and a very good friend of mine. He listened to the first 57 episodes of In Country, and here's what he had to say. Tom, a month or so back, I had this hankering to re-listen to your late great show, Taking Flight. After re-listening to all 41 episodes, I realized I wanted to hear more, but there was no more to listen to. So I downloaded the first few episodes of In Country. Before I knew it, I was downloading all of the episodes. And outside of taking a few Andy Leyland breaks, I powered through all now 57 episodes of the show. Instead of addressing specific story points, I wanted to address a few general things about the show that I really, really like. And as a side note here, before I get into Mike's email, Mike, every once in a while, I, I figured out I was listening to them all in a row when he would message me on Facebook about like specific things here and there, um, which is great. It's it's kind of it's kind of fun to do that when and and try to remember what you said. Uh, and I finally got that got that feeling, which is something I've been hearing from other podcasters a long time. Like when you listen to their back catalog, and they're like, "I'm trying to remember when I said that or when I did that." So. It was pretty funny, and we had some really good kind of side conversations. All right, back into Mike's email. 
Movie one, movie and book commentaries. While the day-to-day issue coverage is great, I have to say I love it when you take a break about the books and movies related to the NOM. Some of my favorite episodes of Pop Culture Affidavit are the ones where you talk about movies because you always had to have a great take on them. I was severely disappointed that none of the movies you talked about were available through Netflix streaming, but I kept my full account. So I should be going through Platoon, a movie my uncle described as being fairly accurate, to his experience, Full Metal Jacket, and In Country in short order. I also like hearing you talk about the novels and even prompt me to get a copy of the things they carried. So while you have cost me some money, I guess I have to thank you for that. Really quickly, uh, just to come out of Mike's email again, um, this is why I kept my full Netflix account with the DVDs. I love the streaming service, but to me, the Netflix with the full DVDs, it's almost like my old school video store that had like everything. And the Netflix streaming is like Blockbuster, which only seems to have certain things, you know, but new stuff. But so, um, and I love the fact that I kept my old Netflix account as, as, as DVDs. Anyway, okay, back into Mike's email. Any plans on covering We Were Soldiers? As a vet, a vet I worked with a few years ago that flew choppers in the war said it was one of the most accurate to his experiences war film he had ever seen, and I was curious about your take on it. I have to admit, I've never seen that, um, but I'm putting it on my list uh, because I've been... You know, I have kind of a list of... There's a lot of movies about the Vietnam War, and I have a, I have a number that I um, will cover. And, and, you know, like the big ones, like The Deer Hunter and Apocalypse Now and, and Coming Home and stuff. And I did Platoon and Full Metal Jacket. Uh, but I'm always looking for interesting new stuff. In Country was another one that I just kind of stumbled across. So um, thanks for the recommendation. All right. Mike continues. Two, the ad. As someone who loves to go through the ads in the comics on his own show, it is always fun to hear people talk about them on your podcast. The only time I was shocked, shocked, I tell you, was about your coverage of the ads when you didn't remember Captain Power. It was on Sunday mornings on WR Channel 9, dude. I can't believe you missed it just like I can't, I can't believe I am giving you grief over it. Oh, well, I guess it's not a big deal. Yeah. Sunday mornings, Mike, were like weird for me because I always had to go to church. And so I missed a lot of Sunday morning television when I was a kid because there were a couple of shows that were rerun on Sunday morning on WPIX as well. And it was just one of those things where not something. So I was either, I was probably at Sunday school or something. And that's why I always missed it. And the only time I remember really regularly watching something on a Sunday morning would be years later into my late teens, no, sorry, early teens when I didn't have to go to. Sunday school or church every Sunday and um, might catch an episode of Degrassi High when they were running it at that point, but otherwise, um, yeah, so I just completely missed this one. Number three, Mike continues, the historical notes. This is one of my favorite sections of the show. I love the context it gives the stories and kudos for peppering in news broadcasts from time to time. Um, that is something, as I've, I've kind of gone away from that because of the fact that the book has gone away from it, but after I finished the Death of Joe Hallen mini storyline, story I'm thinking of bringing it back on a fairly regular basis because I want to cover the war through the end. And the, the book never really does that. I mean, it, it jumps around. It has different stories. It has a little more self-contained stories at points. 
So what I'm going to do is kind of flip through the books, see if there's specific settings, specific times. And if there's not, either um, alternate um, extra coverage with historical context coverage for the rest for the rest of the series here on out, with the exception of special episodes, or just um, or just just go back to historical coverage and occasionally add an extra piece in. Because while I like these extra pieces, like I really like doing that Wonder Years um, episode, and and there's a couple of other things that that I have that I'm definitely have wanted to get through anyway. Um, I miss doing the historical part of this. That that was one of the fun things for me to put together because it was something that I'm not I'm, I'm familiar with and not familiar with. I'm familiar with the history of the war, but not on a month to month basis. So this is that's been really interesting. So expected to come back probably in a month or two. Number four, Mike continues, the music. Back in 1991, I started a year-long obsession with the oldie station, listened to nothing but the hits of the 50s, 60s, and 70s while hanging out in my room. Hearing all the songs you choose to play takes me back to that time. More than that, I have discovered your, a new, few new favorite songs, most notably all, Elton John's All Quiet on the Western Front. Your shows have always had a way of making me buy tracks from Amazon. Five, your show led me to ask my dad about his experiences with the war. The conversation was short because I got the feeling he didn't want to or couldn't talk about it. Still is worth the shot, so thanks for the inspiration. And I'm glad to hear that, Mike. You're not the only person who said something very similar. And uh, while it's not my intent, it's it's very cool. Um, and this is a show that I really love putting together uh, because of the way it explores this history as well. I could go on, Mike says, but this email is getting out of control, as it is. More than anything, I wanted to show you to know that what a fantastic job you're doing with this show. Top to Bottom is one of the best shows out there in terms of content and production. You have a formula, but it never feels dry or forced. In all honesty, the only, quote, criticism, notice the quotation marks, is that it would be better if you use the fade-out feature more on your opening music because it always seems to just stop, which is a little distracting. Yeah, I'm going to work on that. <laughs> but the best is that I can come up with in terms of that sort of thing. I'm honestly, I'm not trying to wax your car too much here, but in all honesty, this show makes me want to do better with my own podcast. Not that I want to rip anything you do off, but more like I want to up my own game so that my shows here are as good as this one. Take care, sir. Face front. See you in the world, etc. Regards, Mike. Thanks for emailing in, Mike. Uh, I hope you keep enjoying the show as I continue to go forward. And speaking of which, I'll be taking on the second part of this two-part Punisher storyline with issue number 53 in the next episode. So until then, thanks for listening, and take care. You have been listening to In Country podcast that covers Marvel Comics, The Nom. The Nom and all of the comics associated with it are copyright Marvel Comics, and since this podcast is intended for entertainment purposes and I make no money off of it, no infringement is intended. Images, clips, and show notes can be found at Pop Culture Affidavit, which is located at popcultureaffidavit.com. Feedback can be sent by email to popcultureaffidavit at gmail.com. In Country also has a Facebook page, and you can like the podcast at facebook.com slash incountrypodcast. This podcast is a proud member of the Two True Freaks Network of Podcasts, which is a division of the Demanza Corps of Milan, Italy. 
You can download this podcast and many other great podcasts at twotruefreaks.com. Want to support this and the other Two True Freaks podcasts? Go to twotruefreaks.com and click the Amazon.com link. It costs you no extra money, but really helps us all out. Thank you for listening and come back in two weeks for the next chapter in the saga of The Nom.